0: end of a little series I've done here in the book of Titus called The Next Life on the Island of Now. And as we come to the end of that, I want us to consider not an end, but a beginning. Graduation ceremonies are called what? Commencements. They are as much a celebration of what is about to come as they are of what has been completed, and rightly so. I want us to consider the end of this little letter, the next move. You see, contrary to popular opinion, this is not all there is. And apparently, that was the challenge that Titus had before him on this little island. Have you ever noticed the mentality of people who live on islands? Any island dwellers here? I'm going to get in trouble now, but it's not bad. Just that island dwellers are a little different. Did you, did you know that? They are. Because they live in a little ecosystem, their own little world. And things are a little different. Have you ever heard of the island of Tangier? It's not in Africa. It's in the Chesapeake Bay. And it's a fascinating little place. The most unusual attraction on Tangier Island is hearing the unusual and old accent of the watermen. Because of the centuries of isolation that they have lived in, the islanders still speak a unique island language, similar to the speech spoken when Tangier was settled in 1686. It's still strong enough that if you went went there, you may not understand the people speaking to you. And I can testify to that. Linguists have been attracted to this place because people speak in an English Restoration-era dialect that dates back to that time. Now, I went to college with a guy who came from this island. I was 18 years old, right out of high school, and here was this guy who had served in the Marines for a number of years. He was huge. He was just one of those guys you want to be a Marine, right? Tough as nails, used to run miles and miles every day. So one day when some friends of mine and I were walking across to the cafeteria, which I love to do on a repeated basis every day, along came this guy running in from his run with a big old stick in his hand. Now, the leash laws in South Carolina aren't what they are here, and I found that out when I biked down there and got chased by dogs. So this guy knew about the dogs, and he'd run with a big stick. So somebody said, so what's the deal with the stick?" And in this strange language, he said, they can't see and bite at the same time. Because he would whack these things. And I'm like, what's with that guy? Oh, he's from Tangier. Really? What's that? And then they began to explain this kind of weird little island in the Chesapeake Bay to me. Apparently, that's kind of what Titus is dealing with. A bunch of lazy gluttons, people lost in their own little mentality... And we're all guilty of that to some degree, aren't we? We get lost in our own little world. The last verses of this letter seem so unimportant. Names and places that are meaningless to us. But actually they show us something about what's next. They're fascinating if we take a minute to think about what Paul is instructing Titus And they open our eyes to things beyond our own little world and what might be in store for us if we'll only keep moving or take the next move. Titus, chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. I could really stop there. For what I want to get across. Believe it or not, there's a tremendous spiritual lesson in that single verse. Paul and the Lord apparently still have much in store for Titus. When Artemis and Tychicus, who are delivering this letter that, has, uh, that, that you know, we're reading here, when they get there, move on. I want to see you in Decapolis. Now, to show you that there is so much in store here for Titus, we need to reconstruct his life, and I'm going to do that. Now, we had a huge meltdown of our you know, audiovisual uh, system this morning, so you're going to have to, um, you know, we're almost unplugged. Thankfully, the microphones are working, and we got some words on the screen. But I need you to do one of two things picture the Mediterranean basin in your head, or do what you do when my messages get really bad and go to the back of your Bibles and start looking at those pretty maps. Go all the way to the ones that, find, uh, that have Paul's missionary journeys. You'll usually find one that says Paul's missionary journeys, and they'll be red and yellow and green lines all over or something as they measure three different journeys that he was on. And that's going to help us with understanding what I want to reconstruct here. First of all, Titus was probably saved in the city of Antioch. Antioch is in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean. You'll notice Jerusalem's kind of in the southeast corner of uh, the Mediterranean, back a little bit from the land. Antioch was a port city in the northeast part. So what had happened? The church had been born in the city of Jerusalem, God, Jesus had told them before He left that they were to be His witnesses in Judea, Samaria, uh, um, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. But they weren't going. So that was in chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to deal with a lot of this stuff as we get to the fall. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, because they hadn't gone anywhere, He drops a persecution on that city and spreads these people all through the known land. And some of them went to Antioch. And in Acts chapter 11 it says some of them went and just shared this good news of the gospel with Jews because after all it's we're the chosen people, we've been the chosen people obviously we're going to be the chosen people and so we'll just talk with people like us. But others it says spoke with those who were Greeks and Gentiles and then Luke records and the Lord's hand was with Them. They were doing what Jesus had told them to do at the beginning and be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So in this place, we end up in Acts chapter 13 with lists of names of leaders of that church that was founded in that place, and most of them are not Jewish. And one of these, not listed there, but a Gentile convert in that city was named Titus. He was so significant a person That when, back in Jerusalem, they heard that this gospel was spreading to people who weren't Jews, oh no, that's bad, can't have that, and there started this big argument about whether Gentiles could actually become followers of Jesus Christ, Paul returns to Jerusalem with Titus to say, yes, they can. An uncircumcised Greek. Here he is. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 15, you won't find his name mentioned there. It just says that there was a Greek brought with him. But if you go to Galatians chapter 2, which was a letter that now, if you have the map in your mind, Jerusalem is down in the right hand corner and then Antioch is up in the uh, upper right hand corner. You start to move over to your left to modern day Turkey. In there is the land of the area of Galatia. A letter was written to them called the Galatians over this particular issue because people were saying, no, 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 you still got to do all the Jewish things. And Paul was saying, no, you don't. As a matter of fact, Titus shows that. This was the one that I took back to Jerusalem and said, look at this remarkable example of a faithful Christ follower who is a Greek. No need to be circumcised. No need to follow the Jewish laws. God has brought peace and freedom to all men and forgiveness of sins. So Titus is saved in the upper right-hand corner and he's taken down to the lower right-hand corner and now he's used as a testimony over there in, in Galatia. then, Paul ends up having several different uh, journeys. You look at the map, you'll see he ends up going beyond modern-day Turkey over into what we know as Greece, and he goes all the way down near the point of Greece is a city called Corinth. He plants a church there. As I've mentioned to you at times, that's one of the most problematic churches of the New Testament. In fact, there's basically a, a parallel. The most problematic churches got the most attention. The best churches didn't. And we'll come back to that. Corinth was a problematic church. They sued each other. They slept with each other. They fought over who was doing what and who was in power and who wasn't. The place was a mess. So sometime later, when Paul finds himself in Ephesus, which is just across the Aegean Sea from Corinth, from Greece, modern-day Turkey, south of what's now Istanbul, in that area, in this city of Ephesus, he spent three years ministering uh, to people who kept coming in and out, um, and, and, uh, and, and a lot of work was t- done in that particular area because they would come. He started a little bit of a Bible school, and people would come and go. And during that time, Titus is going back and forth between Ephesus and Corinth, this problematic church. And the first letter tells us how bad the situation was. There was probably a second letter that we don't have in the New Testament that was written in between because Paul refers to it in what we know now as, as Second Corinthians, probably the third letter that he wrote to him. And in that letter, he begins to talk about all that Titus has done. And the second letter is much more encouraging because they've corrected a bunch of their ways. And he refers to him in, in uh, chapter 7, verses 13, 14, and 15, then in chapter 8, then in chapter 12. He begins to talk about Titus and all that he's done. And he he came and you accepted him with fear and trembling and you listened to what he said. And and he was so willing to do this. Now, he had some kind of job on his hand because like I said, these people were just a mess they were in all kinds of problems. Like I said, you know, suing each other and and sleeping around like they're not supposed to and fighting over who their leader is and all this mess is going on. Titus is moving back and forth, bringing solution to the problem. And not only has he got to do that, but Paul says, oh, by the way, remember Jerusalem way back down in the lower right corner? The place where this all started? They're in a mess now. They're having a famine. They're having all kinds of difficulties. We need to send them some money. So when you go back to Corinth, straighten out all the mess, and tell them, by the way, um, when I finish the message here, uh, I'm going to take an offering because we've got to take it back to Jerusalem. Can you imagine the difficulty of this particular job? The scope of it is incredibly hard. Back and forth he went as a diplomat, a disciplinarian, and whatever else was necessary to bring order there, and then collect an offering for the church in Jerusalem. But Paul is able to say of him in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern that I have for you, for Titus not only welcomed the appeal, but he came to you with much enthusiasm on his own initiative. He's not even doing this begrudgingly. He's not a follower of, of, of Paul and he, in this great place in Ephesus where all kinds of great things are happening and churches are getting planted all out in this different area. And Paul comes up and goes, Titus, you remember Corinth? Man, they are in a mess. I need to send somebody over. Oh, not me. Really? Oh, come on. Paul, you know the mess they are. I want to go work with... He didn't do it. Apparently, he went with a passion. Oh, absolutely. I'll do that. And he's carrying these letters back and forth, and he's talking to these people, and it's working. He apparently was gifted and obviously passionate about his ministry, even in the toughest condi- conditions. Now, that's just like assignment number three Jerusalem, and then in Ephesus, and then in Corinth, and then Paul sends a decree. Chapter 1, verse 5 probably during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, he he was was let out of prison, and then he was able to go to Crete, and he left Titus there in Crete, and he ends up back where he was before. And so he says, I want you to go and settle settle these different things. I've told you how difficult this assignment was, a bunch of lazy gluttons living on this island, lost in their own little world. So he gets this assignment, and according to the verse I just read, He's not done yet. Paul's got something else in mind. Now, let me stop for a second. There's a principle worthy of note that is very obvious. God's working in our life is never without a purpose. And what He's doing in our lives right now is preparing us for everything else that He has in store. Imagine if Titus had refused or had been grudgingly handling the situation with the Corinthian church. Imagine how unprepared he would have been for Crete. What if he had been going, oh Paul, not me. How come I haven't been going there? Imagine he would have gone to Crete like, really? How do I handle these guys? They're worse, worse than the Corinthians. But he didn't. And he was ready for it. I remember a conversation that goes back more than 25 years in my life now when uh, a man who was kind of a mentor and uh, a hero of mine and we were spending some time together and he was sharing with me about um, how he preached his own father's funeral. And I, you know, you know me, speak before I think, you know, so right on, oh, I could never do that. And he stopped me right there and he said, don't say that. You don't know that. And if you ever have to do that, God will give you the grace. Well, he was like a prophet. Because sure enough, my dad passed away and I spoke at my own father's funeral. But that was nothing compared to just a few years later when my brother, who suddenly died, his wife comes to me and says, Barry, I need you to plan it and organize it, prepare it and preach it. I want you to do the whole thing. And if I had not had gone, if I hadn't gone through those things to prepare me for that moment, I never would have been able to do it. You see, what you might be cursing and resisting and complaining in this very moment might be divinely intended to prepare you for what's coming next. Listen, what has happened in your life is God's preparation. What is happening in your life is God's formation. And all that will happen in your life is God's intention. So what have we been through that the Lord is going to use to prepare us for what's to come? What are we going through right now that is essential that we learn and grow through if we're going to be ready for what is next? And what more does the Lord have in store that we dare not miss? We dare not be so consumed in our present that we fail to see what's next and are ready to move into it. You see, God's not done yet. It never ends as we'll see in the life of Titus. After Corinth and Crete, upon being relieved, he was returned to Paul to return to Paul for further plans. Another assignment. And the best was yet to come. I can never say that phrase without uh, thinking of the summer of 2009. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to drive to Michigan, like we do every summer. I have a friend whose parents built a cottage on Michigan, uh, on Lake Michigan, southwestern Michigan, where all the Chicagoans go to vacation. And everything's about location, right? I mean, it's right. On the water. Every summer we go, we spend time with these friends. It's so much fun. I can't wait. I know you're bored to tears. I'm leaving tomorrow morning. Too bad. On that beach, in 2009, a man who is, uh, once again, a, a a bit of a distant mentor of mine, I was in angst about what God was doing in my life because just a couple months before uh, the phone had rung and someone had offered me a new assignment this one and I didn't know what I was supposed to do because I was faithfully doing everything I knew I could where I was why would God want to then take me from Crete and send me to Corinth or anywhere else yeah you're welcome I don't know Is this what I'm supposed to do? So I poured my situation out to this guy and he he shared a number of things that were helpful, but one of them I'll never forget. Your best years are yet to come. And that's been true, Kathy. There you go. Because he's not done yet. And he had something else in store. Second Timothy chapter 4 gives us a little picture of what was next for Titus. Now, Second Timothy, you've got to understand, takes place over in Rome. Now, are you still with me on the whole... You're in, open your Bible maps, you know, look them up. Or, you know, you've got this picture of the Mediterranean. We started in the lower right-hand corner. It was Jerusalem. Then we had Antioch in the lower uh, upper right-hand corner. Then we moved over into modern-day Turkey. Then we moved over into Greece, right, in Corinth. And then we went south to the island of Crete. Second Timothy has Paul writing his last letter, his very last words. He's about to die in the city of Rome in a dungeon prison below the city streets. It's called the Mamertine Prison. If that's not it, it's an awful lot like it. If you go to Rome, go there. I'll tell you how to get there. It's amazing. And it's cheap, too. Love cheap things. So, amazing place. He's about to die. He's out in a hole in the ground. And he writes his last words. It's a fantastic. You go to that place and you'll read Second Timothy like you've never read it before. But at the very end, he gives a hint. Demas, one of his disciples, has walked away from the Lord and he's gone back to Thessalonica. Christian has gone somewhere else. And Titus has gone to Dalmatia. So? Hmm. We read at the end of Titus that Paul wanted to meet him in Nicopolis. Now we're back in Greece. You remember the the Corinth is down at the bottom of the peninsula there, of what we know, Greece? Just go west and you'll find uh, a port city called Nicopolis. Just north of that area is this whole zone, this whole region called Dalmatia, or also known as Illyricum. Same place, two different names, same area. Paul says, when you're done in Crete, when these guys show up, You meet me in Nicopolis. We're going to spend the winter there, and then you're going to Dalmatia. Because in 2 Timothy 4, we read, He went to Dalmatia. Now, we have to ask ourselves a very important question. Who did he work with? Paul never worked by himself. Paul's disciples never worked by themselves. They always worked with someone else. There's one exception to that, and that's when Paul is in Athens. It's one of his most famous speeches, the Sermon to the Unknown God, remember? In that place, as amazing as it is, and I've got a friend who's named his company that, you know, because it's so fantastic how he communicated the gospel in this pagan setting, no church was established. A few converts, but no church was planted. All the cities that Paul visited, almost every one of them he planted a church in when he spent any time there. In Athens, nothing. Why? Because he was all by himself. Paul always worked with somebody. And he always had his disciples work with somebody. So if, if Titus has gone to Dalmatia, who's he working with? Now you look at your maps. You're only going to get this if you got this in the, in the, in the map in the back of your Bible. What's the closest church that was planted by Paul to Illyricum or Dalmatia? Draw a line and it's, it's um, Berea. Do you remember Berea? Berea is a church that got no attention. Now we're going back to the ones that best churches didn't get Letters. They never got a letter because they, of them it was said they were of a more noble kind who searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. They were a strong church, and they, I believe, multiplied themselves, joined uh, uh, forces with Titus and moved to that area of uh, the world, which is modern-day Bosnia, right across the Adriatic from Rome. Now, why am I explaining all of this? Listen to this. In Romans chapter 15. Now remember, Paul is trying to get to Rome, and then he's going to go on to Spain. He's covering all this land from all the way down in the right hand corner, all the way around, and outside of the picture, he wants to get to Spain. And he is able to say in Romans chapter 15, oops, Romans chapter 15, these words. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to come, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Follow this. The guy is saying, I have worked from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, Dalmatia, modern-day Bosnia. I've covered it all. There is no more work for me to do there. How could he say that? Because he had a guy named Titus, whom he met in Nicopolis, joined forces with the people from Berea, and went up into Dalmatia. And they were working there. And he had to go where no one had heard before. Titus has been and continues to be an extension of the ministry of Paul and so faithful an extension that he can trust him to finish what needs to be done in Crete and then move on to another assignment and consider his ministry complete even in areas of the world that Paul had never been. And what's interesting is that Titus dealt with some of the most difficult assignments at the beginning and may have finished his career on one of the best assignments anybody could ever have. Berea gets this honorable mention and they may have been the ones that worked together with Paul to do that work across the Adriatic from Rome. Titus is able to work in his later years and his his ministry with these kinds of people. You see, contrary to popular opinion, this is not all there is. God has a next move in mind. What is it? What has happened is God's preparation. What is happening now is God's formation. And what's about to happen is God's intention. What have we been through that the Lord is going to use to prepare us for our future? What's happening now that is essential that we learn and grow through if we're going to be ready for all that is to come? And what more does the Lord have in store for us that we dare not miss? that we dare not be so consumed by the present that we fail to see what's next and that we must be ready to embrace and move into. We can and must be considering the next life, the next move, because contrary to popular opinion, this is not all there is. Now, who lives like that? Who does that? I mean, these are like the pipe dreams of people that have just graduated from college, right? That think they're going to conquer the world. They're the next generation. We can do it, you know? And every generation blames the one before. And so we're just going to be better and we're going to do it better. Nobody's really done this, have they? Yeah, they have. And we have a very special guest with us today. When he was a teenager, he met his sweetheart in this very And he married her, and he obediently studied and followed and obeyed the Word of God. And there was a day when God poked him on the shoulder and said, I want you to go. I want you to go to this far-flung corner of the world. And he went to Peru. And he and his family lived in a little village, and they traveled on a little boat, and they went up and down this river sharing the love of Christ with people who had never heard it. And that man is with us today. His name is Reverend Milton Reed and I'm going to ask him to join me right now. So if you would come. Thank you, Reverend Reed. We are thrilled that you are here. Now, when you get this age, nobody minds saying how old you are. Besides, he's a man, so it's all good, right? But I hope I look like you when I'm 90 years old. I'm telling you, I do. Would you step up here? And this is a man who would like to share a few things with you about what God has done in his life.
1: Well, I would like to share with you folks from Bethlehem Church. I don't know bring it Unless
0: up. Us as a family, so 19- Hang on a second, Milton. They're, uh, we're going to try and come up with something better than that. 1952, and with three children. There we go. And
1: you have supported us all these years. I can tell you stories about what has done in Peru, and uh, with the Compa Indians, and later with the what we call the Peruvian people. The Compa Indians are a wild tribe and way out there in the regions beyond, and that's where we wanted to go. And then we later on had a houseboat and visited the villages on the Ucayali River. If you're familiar with Peru, the Ucayali River. Eastern part of Peru, and it's a main, the main tributary to the Amazon. So anyhow, we just, uh, I just want to thank you. My wife, my good wife, Dorothy, she went to be with the Lord six and a half years ago, and the funeral is held right here in this church. We were married in this church. Um, two of our girls were mar- married here, and was ordained here. With- Pastor Otto Underwood. I don't know if any of you remember all that. It was back a little time.
0: But yeah, that know. had to be the previous service. We had some people who remembered that. Anybody here when Pastor Underwood was here? No, they were all... Oh, there we go. Very good.
1: Well, that's old church history and our history, family history. So we just want you to know that God has blessed and used your, your support and the gifts that you get to your missionaries. This is a missionary church, and you support a lot of missionaries. And um, God is using that and blessing it in many ways. I know you get reports from missionaries there regularly.
0: Now, you went to to Peru in 1952, and you served there for how many years?
1: Well, we were in Peru 36 years.
0: 36 years. And so you know what, uh, what, what Reverend Reed did when he came back uh, after 36 years? He just put his feet up and sat down because he was just done. Right? No. Tell me about what happened after you came back 36 years later.
1: Well, we didn't want to come back to the States, really, but it was time. It was God's time. But we decided that I would make trips back to Peru, and Dorothy was in favor of that. That's what we wanted to do. She wasn't able to go
0: how many times did you do that?
1: Well, I made nine trips back
0: to four. Nine trips back?
1: In the following six years, yeah. Trips of from six months, or from six weeks to two months. And, uh.
0: Um, you, you invented short-term missions, you know that. Uh-huh. You invented short-term missions, I think. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think you did. And, uh. That's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, uh. And then I, I understand you also uh, served on the deacon board of this church, yes, I did. and you ta- taught Bible studies here. I think that was your Cretan assignment, and then your best years were yet to come.
1: And, uh, maybe I a few times.
0: Yeah. And then God moved you somewhere else.
1: Then the Lord moved us out to Phoenix, Arizona, where we th- thought we would stay a few years because our two of our kids were out there and their family. But for 18 years of passed, and I'm still there.
0: And you're still working. His his wife just told me she he still brings tracts to her that she stamps by the hundreds, and he hands them out, continuing to share the love of Christ with people every day.
1: Well, we just thank God for every day He gives us, you know, and uh, we don't want to keep going. He's got work for all of us to do. So, just the pastor's been telling us about Titus, you know. We're not Titus, but. We are who we are.
0: And we're not done yet, are we? No. Until He calls us home. And I want to thank you for being a hero uh, to so many of us and an example that we can aspire to. And I would like to thank the Lord for you and for what you're doing. And as we pray, how about we reconsider what God would have for us in the present and in the days to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for heroes like this man and his wife Dorothy. Just humble human people like the rest of us who obediently believed your word and your call and faithfully followed you and continue to do so. We give you glory for that as we honor them for their faithfulness and we speak to our own hearts We thank You for the faithful work that You have done in our lives in the past, what You are doing right now, many times that we curse and complain about, but that You intend to use for Your honor and Your glory and Your purposes in the days to come. So would You help us to be like our hero here, to finish well, to figure out what is next and to move into it and to embrace it and be willing to serve wherever you want us to, doing whatever you want us to do, whenever you want us to do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank Thank you, you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: Thank you so much.